Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. What we're doing is we are kicking off a brand new series of messages called Difference Makers. Who wants to be a difference maker? Anybody? Okay, those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'm gonna give an invitation to accept Christ at the end of service and you can do that. But uh, we, we should wanna be difference makers and what we're gonna do is look at some people in the Bible who God used to make a big difference, some people that God used in big ways and we're gonna discover what we can learn from their lives that'll help us know how God wants to use us and it's gonna be a lot of fun and one thing you should know is that this is actually my prayer for you. I, I pray for you every week. If, if you consider Velocity your church, and if you consider me your pastor, then what you need to know is that I pray for you every week. And one of the things I pray for you is that you would know God, that you would find freedom, that you would discover purpose, his purpose for you and your purpose, and that you would use that to make a difference. And I just gotta tell you, there is nothing else like it. There is nothing else. In fact, you will never be truly fulfilled in life until you discover why God puts you here on this earth and you're using that to make a difference somewhere. I'm telling you, it is absolutely the best way to put your head down on the pillow at night is to know that God is using you to make a difference in the lives of others. In fact, that's why we offer things and why we talk about growth track and why we talk about groups and why we talk about being on a team. All those things are different, but all of them are designed to move you from where you are to where God wants you to be. And so I wanna encourage you to, to really take a step because if you talk to anybody who's taking that journey, who's been doing it, you'll discover that it has changed their life. And man, it's just so fulfilling to recognize how God is using you to change others. And so we're gonna learn how to live that out in this series called Difference Makers. And the person that I wanna look at today is a prophet by the name of Elisha. Say Elisha. Elisha. Now, Elisha is not Elijah. I don't know if you knew the two different people in the Bible. And if you got that confused, that's okay. I used to get that confused all the time. Sometimes I still do. And uh, the way I remember it, though, if you want a little trick to, to figure out the difference, Elijah was the mentor of Elisha. And so I always think, well, J comes before S in the alphabet. So Elijah came before Elisha. And if you ever get confused, just say Elijah, and nobody's gonna be able to tell the difference from what you're talking about. But um, of the two, Elijah is definitely the more prominent prophet. He, he's the guy who gets way more airtime, at least in terms of name drops in the New Testament. However, Elisha has plenty of street cred of his own. Plenty of things that we're gonna learn from him is gonna be helpful for our life. But before we can discover how Elisha was able to make such a big difference, we need to discover, first of all, and find out for ourselves that being a difference maker isn't found in a formula. You're not gonna figure out, okay, X, Y, Z, and if I do this, God's gonna use me to make a difference. It, being a difference maker isn't found in a formula, it's built on a promise. It's built on a promise. The promise is this, 
that God created you for more. Now, there is not a single one of us in this room that would object to that. We all understand that objectively. Most of us struggle to live it out, though. I mean, all of us would say there's got to be more to life than just living for a paycheck or working a job or paying bills or saving up for retirement. All of that stuff is great. I'm not against any of it. But here's the thing. Jesus offers us more. He offers us the opportunity to live, to make a difference. And we're going to discover how that is. In fact, Jesus put it this way. This is going to be my introductory scripture for you. If you want to write it down, it's found in John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with my father. I love this verse because what it tells me is that God's ability to use people isn't based, it's not like based off some kind of exclusive club, only a select few that God's gonna use. No, God's ability to use people is based off this promise that anyone who place their faith and who place their trust in Jesus, God can use them to make a difference. And so uh, I wanna use this to start off my message, we're gonna learn how that happens today. And I'm calling this sermon, if you wanna take down notes, everybody knows if you take notes, you have a bigger mansion in heaven. So, is that true? I know it's my first time at church. Well, just try it, we don't know for sure. So um, here's the title of my sermon. Embrace your place. Embrace your place. I'd like you to help me preach this sermon today. I need you to find three people, the number of the Trinity, or it could be one, depending on how you look at it. Three people and fist bump them and tell them, embrace your place. Will you do that for me? Embrace your place. Embrace your place. Now, some of you are saying, know your role. That is a different thing. Know your role is not the same as embrace your place. It's completely different, but... Uh, Hey, would you pray with me? I always like to go to God in prayer, ask for his help in communicating his truth. And I just think there's something powerful when you engage with me and you ask for God's help to hear and receive and understand. So if you would, bow your head and I'm gonna pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that you always speak to us every time we open up your word. And God, I'm asking that you would do it again. Lord, use me today. I don't just wanna share words that I've prepared. I want you to speak through me. And God, only you can take one sermon and personalize it to each and every person here. And so I'm asking you to do that, God. I believe that you will. I believe you have something you want to say. Help us to hear it. Help us to receive it. Help us to understand it. Thank you for it, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, I have a question for you. How many of you would consider yourself handy? Handy. Not, not handsy, that's a different question altogether. I've seen the way some of you worship, cuddle worship. I don't know, like, I don't know where you got, not talking about handsy, I mean handy. I mean, you can fix stuff. I mean, you can put stuff, let me see it again. Raise your hand, consider yourself handy. Okay, I just need to, Marissa, can you uh, just take some notes? I don't need to know who to call the next time something breaks in our house. Uh, because, I, I mean, maybe it's not a surprise to you I am not what you would call mechanically inclined. Um, the church world would say, that's not my gifting. Uh, I, I'm not 
like, I don't want to paint the wrong. I'm not saying I'm worthless, okay? I'm just saying that my wife didn't marry me because of my ability to put things together. It's not, well, not the top of her list. I know this for a fact because one time she was drugged up for a surgery and I said, you know, tell me why you love me because I want to get the truth. She said, I love you for your booty and your money. That is a true story. <laughs> I am not putting words in her mouth. She actually said that. So forget about the fact being a good father, Forget about the fact being a spiritual leader in our home. My preaching didn't even crack the top two. It was my booty and my money. So anyway, I'm just saying if I would have asked her to rate or rank my ability to use power tools, it probably would have ranked somewhere in the bottom percentile. I'm telling you this because I don't want you to judge me for the next thing I'm about to tell you. Because last week, Good Friday, our dishwasher broke. Now, Coincidentally enough, just a few weeks prior, our washer and dryer broke. So I don't know what she's doing when she's at home, but apply, I'm just waiting for uh, the oven and the microwave and the refrigerator. I think she's on, on a new appliance uh, binge or something like that. But anyways, our, our dishwasher broke. And so when that happened, I did what any self-respecting man would do. I went to YouTube to figure out how to fix it. And... Uh, got out my power tools. Let's be honest, they were probably donated by my father-in-law because I'm not using my spending money to purchase power tools, but I got out my power tools anyway. I'm taking apart every screw, nut, and bolt I can find in this thing. And about two hours into it, and honestly, that's probably being generous. It might've been more like three, about you know, two, three, maybe four hours into it. I've got this thing taken apart and I am getting nowhere fast. I'm dead in my tracks. And, and needless to say, we got a new dishwasher on Monday. Um, it's the reason she loves me for my booty and my money. But the, the, the whole point in saying this is, I think it's a picture of how most of us are and our desire to make a difference. We see a problem. We see a need. We want to step into it. We want to be useful. We want to make a difference. We want to be available. We want God to use us but we feel so ill-equipped, we, we feel so unprepared, we feel so completely and totally useless, we don't know what we're doing, and may, I don't know, maybe I'm alone, maybe that's just me, but that's what attracted me to the story of Elisha. Because Elisha, before he was this great hero of faith, he was a man found in a field. He didn't come from a pedigree of prophets, he was just pushing a plow. Now, you wouldn't know that if you're reading the story about Elisha's ministry, because his story, you want to read it for yourself. It starts out in 2 Kings chapter 2. This is where Elisha's ministry gets its start. Now, it's only a few chapters. You can read most of it. You can read it, you know, in 10 minutes, two through six. And what you see right off the bat, Elisha, man, this guy is a difference maker. Elisha, he knew how to step into situations and make a difference. He didn't wait for things to happen. He made things happen. Like, for example, one of the first miracles you see Elisha work is, well, he was in the city of Jericho. Jericho at this time was a desolate land, a desolate place. The reason it was is because the water had become polluted. It was putrid. It was toxic. Now, this is a big deal when you remember that it was an agricultural society. 
So, so water, in many ways, it's the source of life, it's the source of the economy. People couldn't drink it. Vegetation wasn't growing. Everybody who was in the city of Jericho thought it was a desperate situation. They thought they had no hope for the city. Elisha shows up on the scene. He says, hey, bring me a bowl with some, some salt in it. And they're like, what in the world are you doing? He gets this bowl, takes some salt, and just you know, like sprinkles it in the water. And it heals the water. It purifies the water. It worked amazing miracle symbolizing that God can restore situations that everybody else thought was too far gone to be restored, that God can heal situations that everybody else thought there's no way it can be healed. This amazing miracle. Now, that's not the only miracle he did. I mean, there are all sorts of miracles. Like one of the next ones you read about is uh, there were these kings who were going to war. One of them was King Jehoshaphat. He was with them and one of the kings of Israel. And they're going to war and on their way to battle, they have to cross a desert. Now, I don't know if they didn't plan well or something happened, but as they're on their way, they realize this was a bad idea because by the time they get to where they want to go, their men are going to be dehydrated. Their horses, their animals are going to die of dehydration. Like there's no, we can't turn back. We can't go. So we need to do something. So they call Elisha. And Elisha works this amazing miracle where he makes it rain in the desert. And not like this kind of rain. I mean like this kind of rain, all right? He makes it rain in the desert. That's not the only thing he did. I mean, he, he, uh, he, he helped a widow who was on the brink of bankruptcy. She was so desperate that the creditors came, took her two sons that she had, and they were gonna sell them into slavery to pay off and work off her debts. She would never get them back. And Elisha, he works this miracle where not only does she pay off her debts, she has enough money to live off of for the rest of her life. That's, that's an amazing miracle. Not just that woman. There was another woman that he helped who was well-to-do, but she also had a need. She didn't have a son. And Elisha prophesied, and she gave birth to a son. Amazing miracle. One of my favorite miracles, though, that he did, this is one of the last ones. It's in chapter 6, if you want to read it. Uh, there's this guy who is chopping wood. Now he's with a bunch of other guys that they're building a big complex for the school of the prophets and he's chopping down some wood. And while he's chopping wood, the ax head flies off the handle and lands into a lake. Now this freaks him out because the ax was not his and this was a big deal, somebody else's property. And and he calls Elisha and he's like, you're not going to believe what happened, but I was chopping wood and the ax head, it fell in the water and it's not mine. And I don't know what I'm going to do. And Elisha says, hey, don't, don't worry about it. it. Ain't no thing. He says, show me, show me where it dropped. And, and, and he pointed to the water and Elisha, he cut off a, a stick and he threw it in the water. And this iron ax head floated to the top, just demonstrating that God cares enough about your life that he will even help you Get your edge back when you feel like you've lost it. See, see, God cares. And I, I love Elisha because he demonstrates this amazing ability to be used by God to make a difference. He didn't wait for things to happen, just showed up on the scene. He said, what needs to happen? I'm going to make it happen. That's, that's how Elisha was. But what really makes Elisha so interesting to me isn't what he did, but it's how he started. Because when we first creep up on Elisha in the pages of Scripture, there is nothing glamorous about his first appearance. He's not a miracle worker. He's not a prophet. He's not a sage. We don't have anything even from the text to conclude 
that he's a holy or devout person. The only thing we see the first time Elisha shows up on the scene is that he was a guy plowing a field. In other words, Elisha had bleak beginnings. That's what I wanna to talk to you about today if you're taking notes. I wanna to talk to you about bleak beginnings. Because I need to point this out because you might not realize that when Elisha got his start, it was just an ordinary day for him. It was an average day for him. He was doing the same thing that day that he was doing the day before. It was an ordinary day, just like today might be an ordinary day for you. He wasn't expecting God to call his number. He wasn't expecting God to get his attention. He was just doing the same thing he had been doing before, just like other days he had done it. And it's amazing what happened. Let, let's look and see. It says, he was plowing a field with a team of oxen. There were 11 teams ahead of him. Elisha was plowing with the 12th team of oxen. He wasn't aspiring to change the world, wasn't expecting God to show up on the scene and tell him he's destined to make a difference. Doing the same thing he'd been doing before, plowing. Now, in the verses just before this, if you brought your Bible and you want to read for yourself, what you discover is that Elijah, remember Elijah is the man, Elijah is the difference maker at this point in time. Elijah is the prophet who's been leading the prophets for the last two decades. Elijah is there and God is talking to Elijah. And he says, Elijah, look, your time, it's drawing to an end. You need to go anoint a successor. So when you're reading this and you hear God say, Elijah, anoint a successor, the first thing you're thinking is, okay, well, it's gonna be some kind of up and comer some kind of prophet in training. Somebody like, you know, I've, I've been seeing the scouting reports. I've been seeing that this guy, like he has some potential. That's not at all what God does though. Instead, the guy that God wants him to anoint has no experience as a prophet at all. Now this is good news for some of you because some of you, God has put on your heart a desire to make a big difference. And when you see that picture that God has put on the inside of you, it feels like it is so far away. You feel like you don't have the connections, you don't have the network, you don't have the inroads, you have no idea how it's gonna happen. But what we see with Elisha is, hey, God knows exactly where you're at. Hey, God knows your number and he knows where to find you and when he calls you, it'll be all right. He knows how to get you in touch with the person that you need to get in touch with. You don't need to worry about it. He can change your position overnight. You don't need to sweat it. God's got your number, baby, all right? It's all, it's all good. Now, what we don't see is Elisha go to a career fair. We don't see Elisha hire a life coach. We don't see Elisha say, hey, uh, I was thinking about some different opportunities. You know, I've been plowing this field. It's not really like anything so great. You don't even see Elisha looking for a bigger, better opportunity. You don't even see Elisha praying. The only thing you see Elisha do is put his hand to what he has been handed. And it's not fancy. It's farm animals. Let me read it to you again. It says he was plowing a field with a team of oxen. There were 11 teams ahead of him. 
Elisha was plowing with the 12th team of oxen. I bet, I bet it would have been so easy for Elisha to get jaded. I, would have, I, I, I bet it would have been so easy for him to become disgruntled with where he was at. There's no prestige in plowing. I mean, you look at the text. He is literally at the tail end of a long line. He is literally at the tail end of a bunch of oxen. I wonder how many times he was plowing and he looked up and he thought, man, what a bunch of BS. Because there were oxen. I'm just saying... It's easy to lose your vision behind the oxen. There's no benefit with oxen butts, okay? And the interesting thing is, he wasn't just plowing. He wasn't just at the end of a long line. Wasn't just working with a bunch of oxen. What you discover, you can read the passage for yourself, is that he was plowing in the wilderness, in the wilderness. Now that's really interesting for you and for me because the wilderness always represents some significant things in our lives. Sometimes the wilderness feels like a place of loneliness. Sometimes the wilderness feels like a place of hardship. Sometimes the wilderness feels like a place of pain. It's that place where you've lost momentum. It's that place where nothing's happening. The wilderness is that place where you want to give up. And he, he's in the wilderness. He's been there we don't know how long. And the thing I've found is that before God propels you into your destiny, before God moves you into that place where he can use you to make a difference, often God has you in another place. And it is not a place of prominence. It's usually a place of obscurity. It's usually a wilderness. And I think it's interesting that we find Elisha in the wilderness because this is kind of a pattern for God. Have you noticed that? Like, like, like usually when God wants to use somebody, when he gets their number, have you ever noticed they're, they're in a wilderness? Like, like there was Moses, right? You've heard of Moses before. Moses, God spoke to him from a burning bush. And do you know where Moses was at? The wilderness. There was this other guy, you might have heard of him, uh, King David, the greatest king Israel ever knew. And uh, when God spoke to Samuel, the prophet, to go anoint David, he said, go to Jesse's house and anoint one of his sons. He didn't actually tell him it was gonna be David. Jesse lines up all of his sons they're all in his house waiting to see who's going to be next in line. But you know where David was? Out in the field, the desert with the sheep. Even Jesus, before he launched into his ministry, he went on a fast, a 40-day fast where he was tempted and he was tested. Do you know where he was? The wilderness. And so maybe that describes your relationship with God. Maybe your relationship with God feels more like a barren, dry land than it does the promised land that you know you're supposed to be in. But I want to tell you something. I want you to know that God knows exactly where you're at. Not only does he know exactly where you're at, he's present where you're at. He's, he's present where you're at. 
He knows how to get a hold of you. And the truth is, he has been working behind the scenes in your life, orchestrating his destiny to bring you into the purpose that he has called you to, to make a difference. He has been. He has been. No matter how isolated you feel far out in the field, God knows where you're at. Just because your situation looks bleak doesn't mean that he hasn't been conspiring behind the scenes in your life. See, what I discovered is that God often disguises his purpose with cloaked callings. Cloaked callings. That's what I want to talk about. Cloaked callings. I don't know about you, but many times when I've been in the wilderness, when I'm plowing, it's difficult. Well, my first thought is like, what did I do to get here? I must have done something wrong, right? Did I make a bad decision? How did I get? The second thing is, what do I got to do to get out of here? Because this isn't where I want to be. This isn't fun. This is lonely. This is difficult. It's hard. But I want to suggest to you that sometimes being in the wilderness is exactly where you're supposed to be. See, the thing we notice with Elisha is that he wasn't just in the wilderness, he was working. He wasn't just waiting, he put his hand to the plow with where he was at. Look at this again. So Elijah went from there, found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. See, I think a lot of us never make a difference because what's in front of us looks like it's beneath us. What's in front of us looks like it's insignificant. But I want to suggest to you that the thing that made Elisha eligible to receive Elijah's mantle was the fact that he was faithful with where he was at, was the fact that he put his hand to the plow in the place where he was positioned. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't even the place that God had ultimately called him to be, but he was faithful with what was available. And I wonder what would have happened if Elisha would have got fed up. I wonder what would have happened if Elisha was like, man, I'm, I'm better than this. I, I've, I was made for more than this. I've got bigger dreams than this. I mean, this is, I, I, I can do more. You know what? I've had enough. I'm gonna strike out on my own. I'm gonna set out on my own. I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna have my own, you know, feel. I'm gonna do, I, I can do better on my own. I wonder what would have happened if Elisha would have done that, because see, the Bible doesn't say that Elijah was supposed to go look for Elisha. The Bible doesn't say that Elijah was supposed to go search out and find Elisha. I'll show you what it says. Elijah was hiding out in this cave. It's a whole nother story. It's a good one. And God is showing up to him and he's speaking to him. And this is what he says. Hey, Elijah, go back the way you came and anoint Elisha to succeed you as a prophet. God doesn't tell him to go find Elisha, doesn't tell him to go search him out. Doesn't say, hey, this is the destination I need you to go to. Really what it is, is God says, hey, I need you to go to this other place, go back 
the way you came. On your way there, make a pit stop. There's a guy by the name of Elisha. I want you to anoint him as your successor because his name is kind of similar. I thought it'd be better for business that way because I'm God like that. And so go anoint him. Now that's not the main, you're just passing by, but on your way back to where you came, anoint him. Man, what would have happened if, if he would have got fed up? You know, I've had enough. And maybe not even like, maybe not even enough to quit, but just like, he's just not gonna go to work that day, right? Like, like you know what? This looks like a good day to stay home and sleep in. Almost like we do sometimes with church. Like, man, I've had a hard week. And uh, ah, I don't know that I need to go there today. Not realizing that God has your number and because you missed it, you missed it. Because you missed it, you missed your moment. Man, Elisha would have missed his moment if he would have left, if he hadn't have been there. Because God had been watching Elisha, hundreds of miles away, away from the, the pressure of the plow. God had been talking behind Elisha's back and here was the gist of the conversation. He says, Elijah, there is this guy named Elisha and I've got big plans for him, plans for him to make a difference. And see, here's the key, is that part of being a difference maker, it starts with becoming more aware of God's presence in your life. Now, not just like more aware of God's presence in the universe generally, but more aware of the fact that God is at work in your life, how God is at work in your life. He is working behind the scenes to bring you into the place that he's called you into. Even in your ordinary situation, God can turn that ordinary situation into something extraordinary. And you might not have Elijah come up and throw his cloak on you, but God's calling on your life is often revealed when you're faithful with where you're at. God's calling on your life is often revealed when you're faithful in that small decision, that small act of obedience. It doesn't look like much. Nobody's gonna know it from the outside, but you know. Every time you make a decision to praise God instead of complain, every time you say no in the face of temptation, every time you make a decision to trust God instead of fear, every time you make a decision that you're gonna move forward and plow ahead, even though it's difficult, even though it's hard, even though it's painful, even though it's lonely. See, every time you take a step forward, you are actually stepping toward God's purpose. Even though it's small, even though it doesn't look like much, God, God works with cloaked callings. And so you don't have to get all wrapped up in figuring out how the cloak of God's calling is gonna come on you. The only thing you need is to be ready to respond in faith when it does. Because see, joining with God in his purpose, it requires bold breakaways. Bold breakaways. It's the last thing I got for you. Some bold breakaways. Elisha's story suggests the reason many of us never make a difference is because we pick the wrong place to start. Lots of times when we go to follow God, we start thinking about all these things we wanna do and all these things we wanna see happen. 
And there's a part of that, but I want you to take a look at what happens because I don't know if you've read ahead or you know the story, but when God's call, the cloak of God's calling, this mantle where Elijah says, hey, that which has been on me is now gonna be on you. When that happens, Elisha doesn't hesitate. He doesn't stutter, doesn't, doesn't stammer. He, he lets go of the plow in that moment and he runs after the prophet. Verse 20 says, Elisha, he left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I'll come back with you. Elijah, he says something kind of crazy. He's like, go back. What have I done to you? Now, it's, it's interesting. It, it kind of like catches me off guard a little bit because I thought when God calls you, you're supposed to run after him. And that's what Elisha does. He runs after the prophet. But he doesn't just run after the prophet. He makes sure that he doesn't have something to run back to. See, this is where a lot of us get it wrong. Uh, it's not very popular preaching, but when we want to follow God into the new life he has for us, a lot of us want to carry our old life with us into the new life God is calling us to. But what Elisha shows us is that there comes a point where you have to kiss some things in your old life goodbye. Hey, that, uh, it was good. I ain't mad at you. I love you. I'm not bitter about it, but mwah, I'm not going to be here anymore. All right? I'm not hanging out here anymore. I'm, I'm going on to the next thing God has for me. And see, we, we get it wrong because we think, well, it's all about the, you know, this, this dream that we have in our heart. But see, following God's plan, making a difference, it doesn't start with drawing up the blueprints to your dream house. It starts with burning down your old house. T take a look at this. Elisha left him, he went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Now, when I read this, it's a little confusing at first. I'm like, okay, well, did he have like some pent up rage against these oxen? It's like, I've been plowing with you long enough. I've had enough of looking at your behind. It is time to make me some barbecue. Let's have a party. I don't, I don't know what he's thinking, but really what you discover is that Elisha isn't making a meal. He's making a statement. He's saying, I am making a clean break from my old way of life. You see the oxen and the plows, because he doesn't just you know, roast the oxen, he burns the plowing equipment. The, the oxen and the plows, they represent his livelihood. They represent everything he'd known about his old, the stability, the security, the safety. No, no matter how stale it was, it represented what he's always known. It represented his comfort. But see, in order to follow God, it's not just running after the life that he has for you. It's where this message is different. You gotta set fire to the things that keep you chained to your past. You gotta set fire to the things that keep you tethered to your old way of life. Now, I don't know what that is for you. I need to spell out, I am not suggesting tomorrow morning, you go into work and say, I quit and you set fire to the place, okay? This is not the point of the story. God's got something better for me. I'm setting, no, that's not it. 
But maybe, okay, so maybe you don't need to quit your job. But maybe you do need to quit the half-hearted way that you're showing up. Maybe you do need to quit the passionless effort you're giving. Maybe there are some things that you need to leave behind. Maybe what you need to leave behind and kiss goodbye is some of those relationships that keep you chained to your past, that keep you chained to your old way of living, that, that keep you caught up in old habits and old patterns and saying, look, I love you, but I'm moving on. Or, or maybe there are some cows and plows that you need to burn. Maybe it's the fact that your life is a little too comfortable. It's a little too safe. You've able to just factor out God, right? Because like I've made some good decisions. I'm stable, I'm secure. I don't need to trust God. But see, following God into the life he has for you, it requires setting fire to the old things that keep you tethered to the past. And the crazy thing when you do that is that on one hand, it seems like you are losing control because essentially that is what you're doing. You are giving up control. But on the other hand, what you're really doing is placing control out of your hands and into God's capable hands. He is much more capable than you placing the outcome of your obedience into his hands, trusting him with the results. See, this message is really, it's really about surrender. That's what I wanna to preach to you about, surrender. It's where you say, God, whatever you're calling me into, whether it's a big thing, whether it's a small thing, I'm in, I'm up for it. Here's my life, it's yours, it's open-ended. I'm pointing my feet in the direction you're taking me. Whatever the cost, no matter the sacrifice, I'm leaving my old life behind. I am following you into what you're calling me into. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to do it. Doing is the hard part, because it's a drastic thing to cut ties with the only life you've ever known, a life that's comfortable. See, the people that God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. And so I started with Jesus. I wanna end with the words of Jesus. Jesus put it this way. He said, if you try to hang on to your life, try and hold on to it, protect it, keep it safe, if you try and do that, you're gonna lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll find it.